Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us on this Monday of Thanksgiving week. Jim is here. And, uh, Jim, we got a tweet from uh, a listener yesterday after the Jets and Bears one said, No more complaining, crying, and moaning about the Jets and the Bears since both teams won yesterday. So, uh, Jim, let's flip it. 180. The Jets are only two games out of the wild card, and you got the Bengals next week. Congratulations. They, they are not. Uh, it is one of those weird years where, you know, after complaining and moaning after the one and seven start, they've scored 34 points in three straight games. That's not collectively, usually. But early <laughs> in the season, they'd be like, okay, yeah, that's a three game total for the Jets. And uh, I watched almost none of yesterday's game, Greg. I, I was, you know, family in town, other friends in town, two birthday parties, all kinds of stuff running around. And so, yeah, I didn't get to see, I didn't see any of it. It was awesome. Best game of the year. Yeah. Maybe that's a secret. I don't know. But, no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean they can't watch any? And the Bears are three games out. Uh, not sure their odds are, are great. But, uh, hey, they can win on Thanksgiving, and that'll be, that'll be nice, uh, especially if the Lions still don't have their starter back. All right, on to our actual job here. Good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives. And, Jim, we always love people striving for freedom, and we always love people striving for freedom who get a nice shot in the arm through the democratic process. And that's exactly what has happened in Hong Kong. Uh, as you point out in the morning jolt today, there's really good news from local district council election Sunday. 452 seats on the ballot. Pro-democracy candidates won 347 of them. Just 60 candidates known as pro-establishment actually won. I don't know what the, the balance was before, but this is clearly a shot in the arm for the demonstrators. It's clearly a uh, smack in the face to Beijing and their government that they've pretty much uh, installed in Hong Kong. Don't know what this means from here, but uh, it's clear that the people of Hong Kong pretty much like what the students and uh, the other demonstrators are doing right now and standing up for the rights that they've known for so long, but China wants to strip away. Yeah, Greg, and I was struck by how there are certain universal truths, um, no matter what culture you're in, no matter what country you're in, when either the Democrats or Republicans have a lousy election year, what, what is the one argument you often hear from the losing side? This was a local election. <laughs> it mostly focuses on local issues. This isn't really a referendum on anything. Now, technically, these were local city elections. And no, they were not technically, this was not explicitly that there was a pro-freedom party and a pro-Chinese government party. But everybody knew which block each candidate was with. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where I can't imagine at this moment, you know, as there are giant protests in the streets, there are crackdowns that are increasingly violent, tear gas everywhere, they're raiding uh, colleges and universities, there's there, anybody who gets a mask, the cops come in and start trying to hit them with batons. I just don't think this election's turned on potholes. Right? <laughs> I, just, I think it's safe to say, if you're in Hong Kong right now, there is one big issue that is on everybody's mind. And it was very clear what people's views were. And it was something like close to 76% were with the uh, pro-freedom, pro-Hong Kong autonomy, pro-anti-Beijing uh, point of view. Um, and that's a good sign. Now, obviously, as with everything in Hong Kong, there is that big question of, okay, what happens now? Uh, how do the Chinese respond to this? But I think it's safe to say that this was a, you know, the Chinese government would like the people of Hong Kong to be intimidated. And so far, I'm going to keep knocking on wood, um, they, they are not intimidated. And I think there is no nice, easy way for the Chinese government to get its way in this. Um, obviously, the risk of a, you know, even more violent crackdown is, is you know, pot a potentially there. 
hopefully this will discourage them because they recognize that they would be fighting with basically everybody in Hong Kong if they really tried to take things down that road. Jim, we know that President Trump, uh, especially from recent transcripts, is uh, pretty quick with the effusive congratulations on winning elections. I mean, I know it's district council elections, but given the circumstances, he could uh, throw out a generic tweet. But uh, I know he's close to supposedly hammering out a trade deal here, so I'm guessing he's going to yeah. keep his powder dry Last again. Last week he said, we stand with the protesters, but we also, st- well, we also stand with the Chinese. And it's the only stance in the world that could get like LeBron James saying, come on, man. <laughs> I suppose I should give the president a little bit of credit in that he did say we stand with the, the Hong Kong protesters, which is more than almost anybody associated with the NBA was willing to say, other than maybe Charles Barkley. And who's, you, know, you know, if anybody was going to speak out, it'd be, it'd be Sir Charles. Um, but otherwise, it's not the White House, the president covering themselves in glory. I should say Republicans on Capitol Hill are saying the right things. I should say Vice President Pence. Uh, when he makes speeches on this, says the right thing. But it really would be nice to have the commander in chief saying, look, the people of Hong Kong are not going to be uh, subjugated into, you know, with, with brutality or anything like that. It'd be nice to get more of that. It's nice to get the little bits that we do from this president. But uh, I think he, you know, in the end, he's just never, this has never been his cause and he's not going to develop one that's interested in, at this point in his presidency. Probably not. Uh, the uh, congressional effort to uh, aim some sanctions at China for, for any human rights violations as it relates to Hong Kong uh, did get done. Uh, the Chinese are not very happy about it. They're very upset about it, in fact. Uh, President Trump uh, still hasn't indicated whether he will sign it. He can let it become law by doing nothing, which might be his plan, but uh, uh, we'll see. Uh, but getting the Chinese mad about it, I don't know if that's just propaganda or there's actually something that they're nervous about there. But uh, Either way, some small steps on this side of the Pacific uh, to, to support the folks in Hong Kong and a big, big step uh, by the voters in Hong Kong in recent days. All right, on to our bad martini now, Jim, and this is going to make everybody happy with us today. But uh, nonetheless, it needs to be said. It's one of the things we've said many times over the years, and we've been doing this now uh, since 2010, so less than uh, a quarter into the Obama administration, uh, was we were disgusted by kind of the messianic fervor as it relates to uh, the Obama candidacy, the Obama presidency, uh, people passing out at his rallies, more so in 2008 than in 2012, because by 2012 they had pretty much heard it all. But uh, just for those who don't remember, here's uh, how the humility of Barack Obama expressed itself a couple of times in the latter stages of the 2008 campaign. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or if we wait for some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We're the ones we've been waiting for. And then there was this one just days before the election. Then I am absolutely certain that generations from now, we will be able to look back and tell our children that this was the moment when we began to provide care for the sick and good jobs to the jobless. This was the moment when the rise of the oceans began to slow and our planet began to heal. Okay, slow your roll, President Obama. I mean, uh, it's it's a job. We're hiring you to do a job here. And so the Republicans were all disgusted, saying, oh, Democrats, how could you possibly have this messianic complex with your president? Well, 
That seems to be happening to some extent on the right now as well. Uh, latest incarnation of this was over the weekend on Fox and Friends Weekend. Uh, Ed Henry, Rachel Campos Duffy, Pete Hegseth on the couch. And it uh, starts with a clip from former Energy Secretary Rick Perry, who you might remember when he dropped out, uh, pretty much tore Trump stem from stern. But uh, since then, he's been part of the cabinet until very recently. Uh, and he had this to say. God's used uh, imperfect people all through history. King David wasn't perfect. Uh, Saul wasn't perfect. Solomon wasn't perfect. Uh, and I actually gave the president uh, a little one-pager on those Old Testament kings about a month ago. Hmm. And I shared it with him. I said, Mr. President, I know there are people that say, you know, you, you said you were the chosen one. Uh, and and I, I said, you were. I said, if, if you're a believing Christian, you understand God's plan uh, for the people who uh, rule and, 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 and judge over us on, on this planet in our, in our government. And less people on the left attack Rick Perry, he pointed out to me, he believes Barack Obama was sent by God as well. He said for that moment and that time, he said he thinks for this moment and this time, Donald Trump was sent by God to do great things. So we're going to play the whole clip later, but I think it's interesting. One more clip to come here. First of all, I think saying King Saul wasn't perfect might be the greatest biblical understatement of all time. Uh, But uh, Pete Hegseth talking here and then Rachel Campos Duffy taking it to a whole other annoying level. And I'll tell you, going across the country, talking to supporters of this president, they feel precisely the same way Rick Perry does. They, they, They hear the attacks from the media about who he is and his background, and they dismiss it and say, God has used... Yeah. Imperfect people forever, because we're all imperfect. But what he has withstood is unlike what really any other mortal yeah. could 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 understand. So that they having that memo, say, take they a also look say, at that. Really I don't need a savior. I already got one. I've yeah. heard that a lot. And there's something true about that. No, there's nothing true about that, actually. Jim, uh, as a Christian, I believe that uh, God is sovereign. He knows who's going to be in charge. Doesn't mean he approves of it. I mean, you can just look at the Old Testament and king after king does evil in the sight of the Lord. We need people to think bigger than this. The, the, the politicians, maybe in our secular society, have taken on a whole new level. They expect the politicians to make their lives happy and, and perfect because they're, they're unsatisfied in some way. Again, I think it's a secularization thing. Be happy that the president does things that uh, you think uh, line up with your faith. If he's pro-life or he appoints judges that are likely to be pro-life or stands up for religious freedom, that's fantastic. But uh, a messiah is not the person who's going to cut your taxes and uh, work on climate change. The messiah comes to save you from your sins. So uh, people, we're hiring these people. They're not the savior. Yeah. I mean, here's, if you invoke God uses imperfect people all the time, as a argument or as a point to recognize that all of us are flawed, that all of us are going to fall short, all of us are going to make mistakes, all of us are going to have some sin, some wrongdoing, some great flaw that's probably going to hold us back at some point. Uh, fine. Neither you nor I would disagree with that. And I think most Christians would not would not disagree with that. The problem I don't like, Greg, is when it starts getting invoked as sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card or a moral, you know, look, everybody's imperfect, Greg, you know. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer just had different taste in cuisine. Um, and the, the degree to which, you know, imperfect, yes. That, 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 there's a lot that gets covered by imperfect. You know, all kinds of religious leaders are imperfect. When, when you see somebody rolling out the, well, I'm not perfect as a defense, that's really making the most minuscule con- uh, uh, concession to the other side you could possibly make. But beyond that, I think what, what really kind of irks me, Greg, there's this quote, I've seen it attributed to Charles de Gaulle, and apparently the, if you go down trying to figure out where, who actually said it, there's not a clear evidence of who the original speaker was. But, you know, the graveyards are full of indispensable men. Right. In the United States of America, 
we have, a, you know, we don't, we have, we have term limits. So nobody get, you know, the only people who are on, the, on a particular position for life are Supreme Court justices. And I think you can probably pretty strongly argue that it was not really meant to be that way um, because the life expectancy was a lot shorter back then. When you have a system like this, you end up with a bunch of septuagenarians all running for president. This idea that we have term limits, we expect some churn. We expect some turnover. These jobs that you get are not yours for life. You have to earn them back every couple of years before the electorate. And I think that's good. And I think everybody should recognize that, you know, you are not here and you're not emptying up this, you know, this uh, immunitizing the eschaton, to quote William F. Buckley. You are not here necessarily. and You're not going to build God's kingdom on earth. Uh, that's that's waiting for us after uh, after all of our current ordeals. That's that's coming someday. But in the meantime, you're supposed to deal with the here and now. And at some point, you got to pass that torch along to somebody. And you see this in just about every scandal. And I remember probably the most great example of this in recent years was Al Franken, right? And, and so Al Franken had the various accusations of women who said he'd been you know, touching them inappropriately. There was the infamous photo of him on the USO tour and things like that. And there were a bunch of progressives who were like, wait, wait, we can't give up Al Franken. And there were a couple of the accusers and a couple other progressive writers like, wait a second. When did Al Franken turn into the, the one guy we could never lose in the U.S. Senate? <laughs> It's Minnesota. They grow progressive Democrats on trees out there, right? You know what's going to happen if Al Franken resigns? We're going to get a, another progressive Democrat who's going to vote the exact same way right in there, right? Al Franken, you are not so special. The state's not going to fall apart without you. The Senate Democrats will not, not be lost. You know, are there certain people in, in public life that, wow, I really like that. I really like the way they stand for it. I really like the way they express their view. Yeah, that's great. But all of us are replaceable. God forbid I get hit by a bus tomorrow. Greg will find somebody else from National Review to take over that. I hope. <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe they did. It'd be kind of awesome. They, no, there will never be a three martini lunch again because Jim's gone. But, you know, um, all of us, you know, the, the world will go on beyond us. And, and so it's one of those things that we have to accept that. But I think in a, in a democracy, in a constitutional republic, it's even more important to understand every one of our leaders is replaceable. In theory, impeachment should be a process where if we really feel like the president's done a bad job, done something wrong committed a crime, committed a high crime, uh, a high crime and misdemeanor. You know what, Mr. President, you're out of there. Beep, you're up. Congratulations, you're in. Because as we, all, as we can kind of point back, you know, if Bill Clinton had stepped down and Al Gore had taken over in 1998, 1999, Democrats probably would have won in 2000. <laughs> the thing could have turned out much, much better for them. So really, we should not think of our political leaders as gods or demigods or some sort of you know hercules-like figure striding across it no they were lucky enough to get more votes than the other guy that's all they've done and you know what we have a system in place in case god forbid any of them peel over from a heart attack everybody's replaceable none of you are special the system will go on and the whole system was built to go on so thus you should not start putting your people putting your leaders up on a, on a pedestal because the moment you start doing that you start blinding yourself to any flaws they may have all right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim, and uh, back to the 2020 presidential trail. Uh, Kamala Harris. She continues to really not know who she is or what she wants to do, but is grasping for any different angle to uh, make herself appealing as her poll numbers tank in the early states and nationally. And uh, so she's decided to become a champion for marijuana legalization. Here's her explanation uh, to Stephen Colbert on The Late Show. We've got to not just decriminalize. We need to legalize marijuana. It is, it is 
the whole war on drugs was a complete failure and we have criminalized um, whole populations of people I mean you want to talk about gateway it, it it that approach is the gateway to America's problem of mass incarceration mass incarceration so who put these people in prison anyway um, let's go back to July Tulsi Gabbard second presidential debate she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. Now, that turns out not to be true. It's actually closer to 2,000, Jim. So uh, what kind of street cred does Kamala Harris have on this one? Well, she had – it's worth noting that, that not only was Gabbard correct in that, it was like a um, – a, a, it was common. It was like, you know, do I support, you know, have I ever smoked marijuana? And she pointed out that she had Jamaican ancestry and left. Um, I know a few Jamaican Americans who were not thrilled. Uh, among those Jamaican Americans who were not thrilled, Kamala Harris's father was not <laughs> thrilled. <laughs> was sort of playing with that stereotype and, and said so. Uh, by the way, her, her uh, uh, father is a professor, I believe, was at Stanford University. A very, very distinguished guy who wasn't fond of that. Obviously, the answer from that indicates that Kamala Harris herself did smoke marijuana. She then, is, you know, as in her various roles as prosecutor, put 2,000 people behind bars for doing so. And now she has the audacity to say, hey, I'm ready to lead the fight against uh, for decriminalization now that I've done this. It's very understandable that people who uh, uh, would not be fond of that. And the great irony is that she's basically living up to um, the, the uh, portrayal of her on Saturday Night Live in what I thought was one of the funniest debate parodies I'd seen on that program in a long time. Maya Rudolph uh, plays her, and there were a lot of jokes about her acting like she was a character on a TNT legal drama. But at one point she said, I'm the fun aunt, uh, I'm the funt, you know, but she said, I'm the kind of cool aunt who will give you marijuana and then arrest you for possessing it. And that line got a really big laugh. And I think it got a really big laugh because people knew it was true that she was trying to have these two roles that she was playing simultaneously. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, like that, that you know, I, I think, you know, this is a campaign that has had, you know, fallen like Icarus, you could say. <laughs> and uh, I think we're now in the take everything against the wall, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Um, I don't expect this will do Kamala Harris a great deal, but I think it's an observation that like uh, there's an old saying in politics, you got to dance with the ones that brung you. Kamala Harris has to run for president based on the record she's got, not the record she wants to have. And just if it happens to be unpopular with the uh the, the party's, you know, Demo uh, primary voters, you know, you probably do a better job of saying, well, actually, here's why I was right to do this instead of pretending it didn't happen and then exposing yourself to an easy slam dunk like this. Exactly. It's not like she positioned herself as, you know, the Nixon, only Nixon could go to China candidate on this issue uh, after being a prosecutor for so long and incarcerating all these people. Now I finally, no, 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 no. She's just pretending none of that actually happened, which is why I think she comes across as one of the phoniest ones of the bunch and even phonier than Beto was because Beto just reminded me of a kid who just wanted everything in the toy aisle at, at, at Walmart or wherever. And uh, Harris is just far- I don't know anything about that, do you, Greg? <laughs> And Harris is more of just, much more calculating and uh, has more of a record than Beto did uh, and, and just trying to obscure everything because she's still trying to figure out who you want her to be rather than who she actually is. I think that's pretty accurate. And, uh, you know, there's a guy who I've seen at CPAC. I think he went on a National Review cruise. He's a retired detective from somewhere in Texas. 
Um, he walks around with this giant T-shirt that says, ask me about marijuana legalization or something like that. And he wears a big cowboy hat. I'm afraid I can't remember the gentleman's name, but basically I've seen him. He goes to various political events. And he works for an organization representing retired law enforcement officials who want to decriminalize marijuana. And I believe he wants to decriminalize a whole bunch of other drugs, too. And I'm not quite as big a fan of that, but he's got the, the personal story there that he had arrested a bunch of people, put them behind bars for marijuana, and he kind of recognized this is not really helping them in their lives. They are not necessarily violent criminals. They, they probably need to get their lives together, but the, you know, prison's not going to do it. Um, and he's, you know, I've, I've had quite a few conversations with the guy. He's a, you know, like he, it's a very rational one. And at some point, the, like, Kamala Harris doesn't even try to say, I put somebody away and I look back and I realize that was the wrong decision. That wasn't really serving justice. This person needed a treatment program more than they needed to be in prison. Like, if you did that, at least maybe some people would believe you had a conversion on the road to Damascus to kind of tie the theme of all of our martinis <laughs> together today. But she doesn't. And I think she just kind of pretends and hopes that no one will notice her record as a prosecutor. And this is where we are. Well, maybe the legal drama will work out for her because the 2020 campaign is not uh, so <laughs> far, at least. Jim, have a good day. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thank you for being with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a great review if you're so inclined. We appreciate that very much. Have a great day and tune in again Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.